Welcome to The Jarek Show, featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Krohn. Timely topics, poorly presented. Hello and welcome to The Jarek Show. I, as always, am Javad Malik, and alongside me today is one of my favorite colleagues of all time. I used to work with him at 451 Research. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Adrian Sanabria. How are you doing, sir? I'm I'm thrilled to be on here. Thrilled to be finally talking to you. I guess I have to come onto a podcast to talk to you these days. I know, it feels that way. That see that's the we only, have to link it in with work somehow. That's the only reason why I started the podcast to give me an excuse to talk to my friends. Well played. Yeah, you know this is funny because we actually, when we've both worked at Four Five One, we tried to get a podcast off the ground a couple of times. And we 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 just crashed and burned. So um, it's fine. It I, I mean, you know, trial and error. That's how that's how things get good. You know, yeah. you look at any 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 really good podcast. Go back to the first episode. It's probably awful. Yeah, it's shocking. And speaking of awful, um, I have to <laughs> introduce my co-host, Eric. How you doing? You know, I, I'm doing all right. And Adrian, I got to tell you, if you look at our first episode. It was really bad. Um, we're hoping that the next podcast will actually be quality, though. So this is all still practice for the real one to come. All right. I'm glad to help. Lend a hand Good. where I can. So shall we jump into the news? That's what people are here for. They're not here to listen to witty banter or look at Eric's face. Oh, they're they're <laughs> going to get it regardless. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, this is a new cybercrime tool can build phishing pages in real time. Uh, so there are some bad guys out there, and uh, they have created a toolkit that when you um, when the victim clicks through and goes to the website, depending on what the phishing link was or how they've done it, they in real time pull the logos and the text uh, that's appropriate and build them a custom a uh, phishing web page on the fly. Um, so it's, uh, you know, been installed on several hundred, apparently, according to Risk IQ, who, who've been researching this. Um, Eric, you, you always have thoughts about phishing. Uh, what, what do you think about this? Is this something that you think is going to just showing the way that people are heading because phishing is so profitable? Or is it just a, a proof of concept? You said exactly what I was going to say. No, I, I mean, this is indicative of the way that phishing is evolving, right? And this is pretty interesting. This is actually some pretty smart stuff here. Um, and, and being able to change this on the fly to deal with those sorts of things um, is just the next kind of iteration and step. And we talk about phishing. We talk about how, you know, in the old days, people people sometimes still associate phishing with the, uh, the Nigerian print scam, right? Um, the guy that's trying to give away all this money when, when actually it's so much more advanced than, than we think about a lot of times. And this is just an indicator of that. I mean, something that changes on the fly based on, on what it finds with you so that it makes it more personal makes the difference. You know, and we've talked in the past about you get that text message from Wells Fargo that says, come confirm your bank account and you don't bank at Wells Fargo. You're like, ha ha, not today, ISIS. Right. Um, but in this case, this is going to be taking something that is um, that can be personal to that person and make it more realistic and more believable. So, yeah, I think this is pretty amazing. I really do. Adrian, have you ever been fished? 
successfully? Um, there have been attempts. I get regular attempts on my uh, Office 365 accounts. Uh, for some reason, um, Microsoft just can't keep that stuff out. You know, it's stuff I never get on my Gmail accounts or, you know, any other. I've got way too many email accounts. I'm sure you guys have several for different things. And um, and I, I haven't gotten, well, I've, I've gotten a few. Um, uh, so at my new job, you know, we get these, uh, you know, like the CEO's emailing you and it's really urgent. He needs you to like jump on something really quick. And uh, those those are very effective at, at just kind of getting to that part of your brain that's like, you know, makes you scramble, makes you uh, uh, maybe overlook a few things. Um, and uh, and we've got an email security provider. I'm not going to shame them right here, but um, I don't think that stuff should be making it through because it's like, you know, I'm the CEO and it's coming from Roger at baseball.com or something like that. Like, you know, to a human, it's obvious, but yeah, apparently, you know, with technology and AI and ML and all that, you know, we, we can't tell that Roger at baseball.com is, is not the CEO at completely different domain name with a completely different name. It, it's so, funny that you say that, Adrian, because, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the lizard brain thing there. Um, so mm -hmm. we get these things from the boss and it, it drives us into this. And, and we talk about this sometimes. Flight. Yeah, the system one thinking, right? Which is our reactive lizard brain sort of, of thinking where, and you said it, we overlook things that we should normally otherwise see. So when we step back and we look at somebody that's fallen from a, for a phishing attack on the outside and we go, how could you be so stupid and fall for this thing? It's so obvious. Um, it's a whole different story when you're in the middle of it. And they're pretty good at, at triggering that response. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, overall, I think this is evolutionary, not revolutionary. I mean, we, we've seen uh, attackers, you know, using C, uh, CSS and scraping logos and images and stuff like that, you know, skinning pages exactly like the real pages uh, for a while now. So, you know, this is just uh, the next evolutionary step there is to automate more of that process to be able to do it dynamically on the fly. But uh, I think we missed a real story there. I think uh, the ad in that story was even more interesting <laughs> than the story itself. Yeah, we, we were discussing this before we came on air. There's this, uh, yeah, this this ad right over here. It's like uh, something to lock your USB ports, but they're putting something into a. The RJ45 port, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, when we when we read the headline and it talks about new cybercrime tool, and then you see someone with that down there, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what the hell is this tool thing that they're talking about here? And, and yeah, no, it's an ad. That's okay, folks. If you're on the video portion of this, um, you were fooled just as much as we are. I'm quite sure of that. Cool. Yeah, it's, I had no idea a product like that existed. You know, these little plastic locks that you insert into ports so nobody can plug something in there. You know, I may or may not have been with the U.S. government for a while there on the DOD side, and and there like may or may not, well, there may or may not have been a time where USB ports were injected with some, uh, some epoxy type stuff to uh, make them unusable, especially over on the classified side. Yeah, you, you're not, you're not alone there, because I remember being at a, an organization that done something similar, because that was cheaper than getting some sort of uh, DLP. Uh, and uh, it was also cheaper than getting it sent back and then getting replacements or what have you. So, so yeah. And, I and think then the bad guys just use Gmail to exfiltrate all that data. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we, uh, 
we may or may not have tried something through Active Directory pushing policy that disabled a lot of USB stuff. And then we found out certain things like um, in some machines, the uh, the hard drives uh, controllers actually kind of hung off a USB bus some way or another. And it basically oh. nuked that part wow. of the, the machine. So, so the physical fix was better than trying to push policy because there were all these unintended consequences that we found when we enabled shutting down USB period on these machines that Security may or may not have yeah. <laughs> yeah windows nt4 that that's where where the golden era was they just didn't work usb didn't work on that so it was all good anyway uh moving swiftly on to something a bit more optimistic uh emotet botnet taken down by international police swoop I like, I like the word swoop. It's like, uh, you know, it conjures up images of them like Batman swooping in. Yeah, <laughs> there's zip lines or something like that. They're riding in on zip lines, <laughs> crashing through windows. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but this is actually big news. I mean, this is huge because Emotet was uh, uh, massive in the, in the ransomware space and uh, they're operating everywhere and... Ransomware, like like we know, terrorizes so many organizations all over the world. And these kinds of operations actually deal a significant blow to to the infrastructure and, and the people that are running it. Um, so they, they've been trying to do this for a while. I've seen steady stories over the last year of them trying, like taking down portions of the Emotet infrastructure. And like the next day, the bad guys are back up and running and they couldn't figure out how. So apparently they finally figured out like like where where to hit it to take it down? I don't know the details of the Emotet infrastructure, but like you said, um, you know, usually when big companies get ransomware and you see those stories, it's not just the ransomware piece. Like that's usually the third or fourth stage, and often Emotet, uh, along with some clever phishing, some emails, is the first stage of those attacks. And yeah, if if you can stop Emotet, uh, you, you're killing a lot of these attacks. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll find something else. They'll stand up new infrastructure, you know. But but this is uh, this is going to slow them down for a while, I think. Yeah, ransomware has become, in many cases, kind of that last thing they do is they're walking out the door. You know, you, you see our hero or, or the villain walking out. You know, pulls the pin, chucks the grenade behind them, and everything explodes behind them as they walk away slowly. That's been ransomware in a lot of cases lately, right? We have the data exfiltration. We have all of this other stuff that happens and then they just lob the grenade on the way out the door and, and you know we don't think about the stuff that happened before so yeah emotep has been on the front lines of, of getting in and getting those machines owned in the first place and then all of the other stuff happens behind it so it'll be interesting to see how long this stays down and or uh, like in so many other ways there's always somebody just waiting to step in and take over yeah. in another way. And so, you know, we play whack-a-mole on this kind of stuff all the time. Uh, look at May's uh, ransomware decided to retire and then boom, there's more in its place right away. You know, the Raz stuff is like, okay, we gotcha. And everybody just kind of like shuffles over to that new one for a while. And then that gets taken down and then, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how long this lasts. Yeah. With hindsight on these kinds of incidents, I think it's important to remember that um, generally they don't take steps back. You know, with with every success that we have, you know, they're like, you know, like they'll regroup and they'll say, OK, how can we make this even more effective or even better? So we, we've got to be even more on our guard for what comes next. 
Yeah, thanks for bringing down the tone. Um, okay, so solar winds. Uh, we we so there's two stories. There's solar wind story that I think everyone's or most people are familiar with now. They they got um, popped well in the supply chain and lots of government things and all that kind of good stuff. Um, lots of opinions and analysis out there. Uh, there's some then, classic PR there. Like, don't look at us. You know, it could hit you too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this could happen to anyone. Um, and then uh, an interesting one that came out not too long after was a Sonic Wall, um, which is not so clear because there's appears to be a lot of hand waving and a lot of there could be a zero day, there could not be a zero day. Maybe we were breached. Maybe we weren't breached. And uh, people are a bit unsure about that. So I'll, I'll, I'll ask for your thoughts on that first, Adrian, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on from there. But um, what, what do you make of the um, A of the, let's start with uh, Sonic Wall. What, what, what do you make of that the whole situation? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure really. I, I don't know that we should really be that concerned about whether there's a, a zero day or not a zero day because it's something that we need to be prepared for regardless. You know, oftentimes when we find out about this stuff, it's it's after it could have done damage to us anyway. You know, so, you know, in most of these cases, I, I'd say don't get too tangled up in the story. You know, even if you're, if you're uh, a customer, you know, certainly be be looking for weird stuff going on. Um, you know, but generally it's, it's just chop wood, carry water, <laughs> you know, regardless, you know, it's, it's those same basics you should have been doing, you know, when we analyze the, you know, the outcomes of most of these things we find, oh, look, you know, failing to do the basics, uh, got you in hot water here, you know, and these other companies, uh, you know, didn't get owned by this because they, they just did some basic things that were recommended back in the, you know, late nineties, early, early two thousands. You know, like in a lot of these cases, uh, and I think like the solar winds, simply having, uh, you know, a proxy, you know, that requires authentication, you know, stops a lot of this communication from getting out, a lot of the, the C2 communication. Um, so, yeah, you know, who knows? You know, I, it's, it sounds like they're, you know, hair on fire all over the place, you know, as they're trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I think that article, I, I saw that story get updated where they said, yeah, we, we checked some of our products. We found no evidence of backdoors or, or anything like that. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll eventually find out. But uh, I'm really interested to see the detailed reports that come out of all this. You know, when the like the U.S. government uh, on a lot of these U.S. companies requires, uh, you know, full investigation. And generally those incident response reports will come out. And, and those are great to dig into if you're a defender. Like find out exactly how that happened, you know, compare it to your environment and see, see how, you know, would you have stopped it or would have gotten you too? Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, Adrian, you mentioned that, uh, you know, some of the basics at play can help with this. In the uh, 6.4 seconds Javad gave us to read this article, I happened to notice that uh, one of the, the things that they're pushing out there as a mitigation for this is enabling 2FA. Right. Which is kind of a no brainer uh, in this day and age. You know, only someone told us to do that before now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we understand that's not it's not the end all be all. MFA is not the thing that cures everything. It really isn't. There's ways around that. We know that it's not perfect. But by God, it should be just our basic kind of rollout and configuration these days is to enable 
2FA or MFA on everything we possibly can. And there's ways to do it fairly painlessly these days. I mean, you've got tons of options. Yeah. You know, there's less and less excuse for not doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to point out too, we talked about this just briefly beforehand, but here we have the organization, something happened and they don't, they're not really sure what happened yet. And kudos to them though, what they need to do is they need to keep the, uh, the stream of communication open, letting people know, hey, this is what we found out now, or even updates like, hey, we're still looking into this. We, we see that it may not be this or this. They've got to keep that communication stream open. And, and the second part of that is there's a lot of times I, I know I've been in the situation where something's gone wrong in an organization and we spend a lot of time going, what happened? And we're, we're digging for it. We're trying to figure it out. So I can't beat them up too bad because there's a lot of places that end up in that spot where it takes a while to figure out just what happened, especially if they're really good adversaries and they don't just leave the glaring, you know, smoking hole where they came in the front door. Yep. Yeah, no, I, th I think you make a, a very good point there, Eric, as much as it pains me to say that. But um, it's, I think it's that transparency is so important. And we've been seeing like more examples over the over the years of organizations where they've been actually very good at explaining what's going on. Um, I think still like there, there's different levels of transparency and how, how good they are in communicating it. So the really good ones, they're like, this is what we know. These are the systems. This is the, what we've done, and and it, and it really lays it out in a way that you you actually gain confidence that they know what they're looking for, and they have a proper IR plan that they're following. Um, and I'm not saying this or other companies don't, but sometimes it's the layers of PR that get involved, and or lawyers yeah. get involved. And they're like, hey, don't say this, don't say that, don't tell them the name of your systems or how many users you have. Just vaguely word it, and and I think that's detrimental to comms. So FireEye kicked off all these stories in the public, and I, I think they set a great example on how to do that. You know, they burned a bunch of their tools by sharing all the details, you know, because they're afraid of them them being used, uh, you know, against others. And, uh, you know, day one, tons of detail. Day two, even more detail, you know, stuff on GitHub. Um, you know, and that that's kind of an extreme example, but they weren't the most typical company either. Uh, but it, it's good that they set a great example for that at the beginning of this, you know, especially as I think by day three, day four, you know, we were seeing this is going to be a story for months, you know, mm -hmm. it's going to unfold uh, over a long period of time. So it, it's great that somebody set that that good uh, transparency and communication uh, uh, example at the very beginning. It's very much the un-Uber Whereas yes. Uber was like, you know, nothing happened here. These, these are not the, yeah, <laughs> these are not the ponages you were looking for. Um, you know, we, we, we saw how that did not play well. And hopefully, you know, they're the poster child for how not to do this. And, and I am happy to see that when organizations can come up because we know that this happens. Okay. And, and so we don't, nobody just pounces on an organization anymore just because something went wrong. The big difference is how they handle it once it's gone squirrely on them and letting people know and keeping that communication open and giving people the confidence to know that um, this organization is working on it and they're going to be forthright when they figure it out uh, is, is as important as knowing right away what it is that went wrong. How to go from PR mistake to grand jury in one quick step. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Anyway, Adrian, you, you early alluded to your new job, 
Um, uh, do, you care, do you care to share with us what that is and who, who, who you sold your soul to this time? Yeah, sure. So it's, you know, it's a little, it, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot going on. So uh, this company called Cyber Risk Alliance acquired a bunch of uh, media and events companies. So they, you know, InfoSec World is part of CRA, Security Weekly. Uh, the, all those podcasts are, are now part of CRA. Uh, SE Media, which, uh, which owns SE Magazine and, you know, a host of, you know, they've got some events and awards and different things. Uh, and then a few uh, CISO event companies uh, was, was all brought into this one organization and uh, there, there's some really neat stuff we can do with all this as, as part of one organization here. And uh, I was brought on to, to head up the, the labs component and, and to build that out. And what we're doing is I'm taking the old SE Magazine uh, product reviews and totally redoing that. Um, it's going to be a different process. You know, before they outsource the lab component, you know, it's going to be all in-house I'm going to go much more in depth and uh, focus much more on the ownership experience. You know, I looked out there and interviewed a lot of people over the years. This is something I've been thinking about since I started at 451. I remember when interviewing for that job, I asked uh, Wendy Nather, you know, how often do we get to get hands-on experience with products? You know, and she was like, well, honestly, you know, you're, somebody's going to, you know, PowerPoint you and you're going to, (laughs) write write about the company based on that. And, you know, yeah, there's some due diligence that you do, but, you know, there's not a whole lot of time to, you know, get a license and throw something in a lab and test it out. You know, so I saw this this huge need for um, understanding what it's like to own these these products. So I, I wasn't seeing any product reviews that told you, you know, here's how long it takes to get this thing up and running. Here's how many people you need to run it. Uh, all, all those details, you know, especially right out of the gate that you run into, you know, Javad, yeah, I'm sure you uh, vividly remember doing that shelfware report back at 451. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. stuff we want to know. Like, like, what are the chances that, you know, we spend a quarter million on this or a couple million on this and, you know, it just fails because we don't have the, the people or the skills to, to get this thing up and running or keep it up and running. Um, you know, am I going to have to pay for professional services on top of this? You know, if it's a sim or something like that, how hard is it to build a parser for all my custom stuff? All these things I've, I've never seen in a product review, you know, so I'm, I'm really excited about uh, getting this started. Uh, I'm also terrified because it's, it's uh, so a uh, few people on the Security Weekly side are, are helping out as, as well. So Paul Asadorian is going to be involved. Uh, Matt Alderman is going to be involved. Um but but a large portion of it, you know, a lot of the writing, a lot of the testing, building out the lab is, you know, building out the new processes is, is all me. So it's, you know, it's both exciting and a little terrifying at the same time, which I think is where you want to be, you know, yeah. if you want to challenge yourself. That's actually really cool, Adrian. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that because, you know, in the past, having purchased um, software and, and quote unquote solutions, which we all know there is no solution. But anyways, uh, having you were banned from using that word at four or five yeah, for that yeah, reason. So yeah. we, because, you know, but but it doesn't stop marketing. Anyways, you know, you know, so often uh, we we end up with this this thing and we find out that, you know, the CapEx is my is minor compared to the OpEx and, and the operational expense being monetary and labor wise. Right. And so this is how things get partially deployed. 
Um, and, and you know, they, they get this thing in and you got two people on your team and like, you're going to, this is going to be a great sim. And it turns out it needs a team of five highly trained individuals on this particular sim. And it's a great sim, but damn it, we don't need that for our dentist office or, you know, whatever it is. And, and there's so much of that that goes around when it comes to marketing and stuff like that, that it's, it's easy to get blindsided by the actual, um, operational expense of a lot of these things over the capital expense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, somebody goes to an event or something like that. And then, you know, now the priorities on something else and it gets dropped, you know, and the attention all flips somewhere else, or, or you have an incident, you know, and the results of that incident, you know, make you aware of another gap you have. And these other three products over here, you know, uh, you know, uh, just get forgot, maybe not completely forgotten about until they're needed again in the next incident. You know, but uh, I think we've all been there where we end up just jumping from fire to fire and never get the stuff properly configured. Well, on the other side, you have these uh, products that when an executive is walking through the airport and they see this wonderful um, billboard that says breaches are ended if you buy this product. So, you know, the executive comes back and says, we need this widget in place. And uh, you end up buying this widget. You deploy it just so you can say it's deployed. But now you have this yeah. other thing that you have to operate, you know, and there's no way around it because the leadership. Uh, yeah. But but that's a whole other issue in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I get a copy of Consumer Reports in the mail and I see that tagline, you know, keeping companies honest since 19 whatever, you know, whenever they, they were founded back in the 50s or something like that, I think. And I'm like, you know, yeah, our industry needs that. And I, I want to do that. Yeah. Awesome. So that sounds absolutely amazing and it sounds like a huge undertaking but yeah i, I know you you we've spoken about this many times in the past and you know you expressed your desire to do something like that i guess the 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 big question is like uh how do you uh, protect yourself from the inevitable backlash that will come from vendors that aren't happy when you give them an unfavorable rating yeah, so so it's actually I don't think it's a difficult formula, and, and I kind of scratch my head when I see people screwing it up. Uh, but transparency is a big piece of it, you know. Like like if you've got a rating system, if you've got a I don't know, let's say a quadrant or something like that, you know, tell people how that thing is calculated. You know how a vendor you know ends up in one square versus another square, or, you know how how the you know the score was calculated. Um, details on your methodology and we've seen like uh nss labs is a great example because they did an excellent job uh with transparency with the methodology and things like that uh but then some of their actions you know on, on, on the other hand um you know when a vendor said yeah we we don't agree with your methodology we don't want to be part of this testing they decided you know what you don't get to choose that we're gonna make you part of this testing whether you like it or not and i, I feel like that was strategically the wrong move there and that you know lawsuit just wrapped up uh i think in earlier 2020 and then you know nss labs shuttered and reopened so we'll, we'll see if uh we'll see uh how they go from there i forget the new name but uh you know same same company same same approach yeah. um and, and they're probably the closest to what we're doing here except you know again I'm not going to focus as much on the performance stuff. You know, I, I don't think people, the average person, like maybe the Facebooks care about the packets per second and whether or not it can handle their, you know, a uh, hundred kajillabits, uh, you know, 
data center throughput and, and stuff like that. But most people, you know, what they need to know is, like you said, Eric, more more the operational stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, how hard is this? You know, how much work is this going to take for my team? Kajilla bits, huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, build in a, a release valve. You know, if somebody really doesn't want to be part of a, uh, a group test that I'm doing, I'm not going to. I'm not going to force them into it. I'm going to let them out, you know, as, as opposed to getting sued. Yeah, I think that's a wise choice on my part. See, you said relief valve. My, my brain went right to my old checkpoint firewall that would go into bypass a few times a day. And that's what I thought of when I thought of relief valve. I'm like, oh, great. Let's just go uh, into bypass and quit with the IPS. I'm the car, so I'm thinking blow off valve, like a turbo's blow off valve. Gotcha, gotcha. Fair enough. And, and I'll bet, you know, when, when it comes to your reporting on this, I think that how you phrase certain things are going to make a difference in, in how you will be respected in that. So if you start out a review with never have I seen a bigger band of bumbling idiots, um, you know, that <laughs> me and Javon have tact, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I missed a tact. Yeah. So <laughs> I can always help out. <laughs> oh man. Nothing to worry about Eric. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> This will be interesting to see what happens because I think it's important to have that kind of honest sort of review and, and to take it from the the ownership side. Like, what does it cost to own this? Is is invaluable to people. So, good luck with that. Really, sincerely. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Another thing we're building is a uh, company and product directory. You know, so we're hoping you know, like uh, we can build that into kind of an industry standard. Like when you're looking for a product, or you're saying, you know, I wonder who No Before His competitors are. Like you can just pop into our directory, get a listing um, down to like the feature level. You know, so you can really compare these different products. And and the product reviews I do will help uh, uh, feed that database. You know, especially those more detailed uh, specifics. You know, that you want to know about when shopping for products. That 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 in itself as well is is uh, is a mammoth task. Uh, just maintaining a database of all the vendors, all the new startups, and then the mergers and acquisitions, and the name changes, and the, all that kind of stuff. It's uh, excited and terrified. So we can expect in about two years, Adrian's going to come up for air. <laughs> you know what? I, I, hopefully, this will be I'll the be time where Adrian lose his start losing hair, start going gray. Because I've been waiting for that in the 10 years I've known him or so. I don't know. I've not seen it. Maybe like that president before and after picture. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, yes. So um, in, in terms of um, the the organization, uh, what's it called again? Sorry. The one that, uh, that Cyber Risk Alliance. Cyber Risk Alliance. So if they're looking to pick up any other podcasts, you know, for six figures, friend, mates rates, then let us know. I will. I'll do that. No. So, so on. One thing, though, that on, on a serious note, on the on the directory uh, side of things. Um, so I was talking to another organization not too long ago, and they're doing something similar in trying to build out a directory or what have you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I we, we tried to even just, like, keep a track of security vendors and it was impossible uh and and they were like well yeah we've got our, our tools and methods to do it and i was like okay fair enough but uh, one thing is also like people don't necessarily always know what they're looking for so i think having it something that's easy for them to to know so sometimes they they know i need something that's edr 
other people don't actually know they're looking for EDR. They're just saying, right. I want something that can protect against X, well, like ransomware or or something else. So other people will phrase it in a, in a different way. And, and I think like trying to build that kind of um, uh, service where it assists the buyers in understanding what exactly is out there, as opposed to just saying, here are the direct competitors of X, Y, Z, but maybe, maybe more looking at what their outcomes are or what they're trying to achieve. Because uh, you can achieve the same thing with vastly different products from a, from a security controls perspective at times as well. That, that, that's an excellent point. And, uh, and it's something that has occurred to me. And uh, for like a 2.0 version of the directory, something I want to do is have like a natural language uh, type, type search capability where you can say, you know, I'm worried about ransomware, you know, and it can, it can show you some results. And in fact, on the product review side, uh, some of these group reviews I, I'm doing are not just uh, isolated to technical categories. Like one of the group reviews I'm going to do is preventing ransomware. You know, so that's going to be a combination of anti-phishing, of email security, of, um, you know, maybe even vulnerability management, configuration management, a lot of those uh, middle stage malwares. Uh, you know, to pivot throughout the network and and get that, ensure they can get that ransomware on as many systems in your organization as possible. You know, um, you you will use vulnerabilities or uh, dump passwords and things like that. You know, so that group test uh, would have a bunch of vendors in it. And, and the way I'm putting it together so that it's not hundreds of vendors is I'm picking out ones that specifically market themselves as good for stopping or preventing ransomware or recovering from, you know, so all the way from how it gets in, you know, usually through a phishing email or something like that to uh, recovering your data and restoring your data and everything in between, the, there'll be a mix of vendors in there. And mm -hmm. the common thing between them is they'll, they'll all say, you know, we, we can stop ransomware. Fantastic. No, that sounds brilliant. Just real quick, Adrian, before you put a lot of effort into the ransomware thing, I just I just want to point out to earlier in the show, we talked about Emotet being dead. So ransomware, it's gone now. It's not even a problem. Maybe we need I, to. That's, that's why I pushed that one out. You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen. So, you know, that one's more October time frame. <laughs> Hedging my bets there. Excellent. So so uh, were you also, so a couple of years ago when you were at um, Thinkst with uh, Harun and you, you, you and him both it wasn't that long ago. It feels no, like it now. No, no, no. A couple of years ago, you gave a talk here in London at the, um, can't remember the name of the conference now. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in that, as part of that talk, you'd done some research where you'd gone and set up a fictitious CMO on LinkedIn and you'd paid for awards. Yeah. And companies gave you, I mean, could you just recap that because i think that that ties in nicely with what you're trying to do and i know you're obviously you're not paying away but i think our listeners would uh, appreciate that story it does and in fact i'll be using uh some of the infrastructure and the resources i built um for that talk in the product testing you know so i've got fake companies and and fake people that are getting tons of phishing emails and and spam so they've they've already got years of uh of junk in their inboxes that I can use to test different security products against. Um, so yeah, basically what we did is uh, the talk was called the products we deserve. So really easy to look up and, and find on YouTube. And it was just kind of this systematic look at, um, you know, some of the more negative aspects of marketing 
uh, in, in our industry. And you know, one of the first things I talk about in, in that talk is it's really not just our industry. You see it all over. Awards are used, you know, to give uh, uh, prospective customers some kind of, you know, feeling of comfort. You know, this is a real company, a real product. People have used it. It's won awards. You know, it's to give the the uh, consumers some level of uh, of confidence before buying. And uh, I did some surveys, and I found actually it doesn't. Uh, at least in our industry, uh, a lot of people if they see. Uh, a bunch of awards plastered on your website, uh, 40% of those people will disregard you entirely. You know, like, like it, it gives, it gives them, you know, kind of a, you know, runs a chill up their spine. They're like, yeah, this, this doesn't feel right. And they, they, they take their business elsewhere because, and I think the reason for that is um, it's not that all awards are bad. It's that some are really, really bad. And the average person doesn't know which ones are really, really bad that you just whip out a credit card and you can buy an award. And um, so they just assume they're all bad. You know, so again, this goes back to transparency and why transparency is so important when doing any kind of uh, research or analysis uh, <clears throat> of products or, or posting any research. Because um, as long as there's one that's that's trying to pull the wool over your eyes, you know, you're going to assume it's everybody because that transparency isn't there for you to, to make that judgment call yourself. So, uh, so yeah, we focused on everything from the, uh, the analyst side. And it was kind of interesting because me and Haroon don't exactly see eye to eye uh, on the analyst side. I, I feel like uh, industry analysts can do some good and, you know, he's, he's past that. He's, you know, it's, it's just uh, the model itself is too much of a mess. And, and his, uh, his point there is that um, it's too easy to bias the analysts. Uh, you can take your dollars, your marketing dollars, and by spending more money, you can talk to the analysts more. And the more you talk to the analysts, naturally they're going to be biased to you. Naturally, when you know uh, IDS or you know whatever category it is comes up, uh, you know that company that spends the most marketing dollars so that they can have inquiry calls and advisory calls with you, bring you out to their campus for a strategy day, that kind of thing. Uh, they're going to pop up first just because you spend the most time with them. You know, there's nothing nefarious going on there. Um, you know, the, the analyst is still being honest, but you know, that's the way human brains work. You know, that's, they're now biased towards that company that they spend the most time with. And well, that bootstrap sure. company that spends $0 with analysts, nobody ever hears about from the analysts. Yeah. And if you're most familiar with that group already, then you're obviously going to lean towards feeling comfortable recommending them, I would assume. So he's got a really good point there. And just from my experience, I feel like we still do need somebody like like the analyst to explain some of this stuff. You know, there's a lot of good to be done there where just going to a company's website uh, half the time, especially if it's a new category and they haven't quite figured out the messaging yet. Um you can go to a website, you know, download all the things off the website, read the whole thing and still have no idea what they do. You know, so so it's it's good to have somebody, uh, you know, that's going to, you know, write up something in plain language, strip out all the marketing and say, here, here's the category they're in. Here's what they do. It's an appliance you put in your data center. Uh, here's how it's licensed, you know, and you know, in a paragraph, you can have a better understanding than, you know, the, the hours you spend on the website scouring it for, you know, something, <laughs> something to grasp onto. That helps yeah. us better understand how a tool can, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, 
block USB by sticking something in an RJ45 port. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bring up old stuff, but uh, I'm still thinking about that that particular tool. And, and you know, what does it actually do? It, it's kind of funny because we did have that question looking at that ad. But, you know, we figured it out just from looking at that ad. Just from that one picture, we could say, oh, okay, you need a special tool to insert and remove these so that nobody can plug stuff into your into your systems. You know, that that's actually an example of, doing it right, you know, because in that one picture, you know, that's, that's the whole thing the product does right there. You know, now, you know, pretty much all the features, you know, what the purpose of it is, uh, you know, but some of these, they, they spend so much time talking about the problem they solve or, you know, how they implement the technology. Like let's talk about AI and ML, or they use some kind of uh, metaphor, you know, like, like antibodies and they, you know, like this human body, uh, fighting viruses and bacteria uh, uh, analogy. And uh, they get so lost in that, the, the marketing folks, that you're left with no idea whether or not you actually need this product or if it's uh, 100% overlap with something you already own, you're left with no idea. There's a, there's a certain um, talk um, circuit that I think Javad and I do a little bit um, with, with uh, a gentleman out of the UK. It's, it's actually a really good group of people getting together. But one of the vendors that I've noticed recently, his entire presentation is actually putting up these videos and they're all marketing videos and blah, blah, and like all this sexy stuff. And it, it goes for like several minutes. And most of his time is done through these marketing videos. And frankly, when we get done, I'm kind of wondering, is this, you know, threat analysis? Is this... Um, you know, what, what does this group actually do? I mean, it's sexy. It's great. It looks like something out of a Tom Clancy flick, but you're right. I have no idea what they actually do at the end of the day, other than, wow, they make a pretty impressive yeah. looking. Video. So, so yeah, again, to defend my position, I'll, I'll share one quick story where it, it, I, I think it's, it's fair to, to call them out by name at this point, you know, because it's, it, it's a positive story. You know, they actually fixed the issue, but the first time I ever talked to risk IQ, uh, I remember telling him, hey, guys, we're, we're 62 minutes in and I have no idea what you do. You know, and, and it was one of those things. It was like, I, I know what problem space you're going after. Like you did a really good job of outlining the problem statement for 62 minutes. But I don't know what the solution is. You know, I don't know what form it takes. I don't know how it's licensed, how I would use it, where I would plug it in to my security program. And, and then I talked to them nine months later. And just night and day, first five minutes, just nailed it. And I, I stopped them and I said, guys, this is so much better, so much better than it was. And, and to me, that was really rewarding as an analyst to see, you know, to give that that feedback and, and to see it have a, a positive impact on how a company was doing their messaging and and talking about their product. Yeah, yeah, that, that happens so much. Or it's like uh, I remember in some briefings, they'd spend all their time speaking about competitors who they were nothing like apparently it's like mm. we're better than fire than fire eye but we're nothing like fire eye and fire eye this and fire. and at the end you look so at your you and if you've got the competitors name and then nothing about them and you're like mm, okay <laughs> it's it's uh, kind of like dating i imagine not that i've ever really done dating <laughs> when someone talks about their ex all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they can or, or you know they talk too much about themselves or you know not what they can do for you, you know I I, I imagine it's like that. <laughs> I, I, are you on the are you on the market again, Adrian? That's the question. Then <laughs> no, 
No, I, I've got my hands full with uh, with teenagers and with building a directory and product reviews. So, ladies, what Adrian's saying is, if you can make time around his uh, his busy schedule, then at uh, uh, Sawaba is his Twitter ID. I, I would not wish that on anybody right now. Cool. Well, that's great. Um, but uh, no, thank you so much for joining us, Adrian. Uh, it's always a pleasure. We we need to catch up more often anyway. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's great. Best of luck with the directory. Oh, well, no, I say the direct with the with the lab and the testing and the new job and uh, and the teenage kids. And yeah, aren't they uh, aren't they something that everyone struggles with at this age? Teaching them to drive on cars with three pedals. Like I, I'm I'm doing everything hard mode. Proper driving, good stuff, good stuff. Um, uh, Eric, any any parting words? You know, I think it's really important. So it is very important. So thank you so oh, much. Oh man! You know, he's got nothing to say. He just like wow. Don't feel sorry what a for finish. Him. Don't feel sorry for him. Come on, you enjoyed wow. being on here, didn't you? I did. Excellent. So Adrian enjoyed being on here. Eric thought it was fantastic. We'll see you again next week. Stay secure, my friends.